Ladies and gentlemen, this is Dean Hill, and you're listening to Live and in Color with Wolfie D. Hey, this is Jimmy Street, host of the Live and in Color with Wolfie D podcast. Hear the life and times of professional wrestler Wolfie D. From his time in the territories with PG-13 to his time in WWE, ECW, WCW, TNA, and more. Nothing is off limits and nothing will be held back. Thanks again for tuning in. Here he is, Wolfie D. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to Live and in Color with Wolfie D. Of course, I am Wolfie D and my co-host, Jimmy Street. And today, we're going to take a little walk down memory lane from the USWA days. And the voice of the Louisville Gardens, Dean Hill, is joining us today. What's going on, Dean? Well, first of all, I, I'm honored that you deem me worthy of uh, being on your podcast. I've uh, I've never done a podcast before, so I hope I don't do something unpodcasty. <laughs> we'll we'll <laughs> hold your hand all the way through, Dean. I, I feel honored. I'm your first. <laughs> <laughs> that was said in a manly way. Yes. <laughs> so, As Dean, always. Man, I met you in 1993 when uh, Jamie and I uh, debuted in the USA. What year did you actually start doing the ring announcing there? I started in 1988. Um, well, uh, Wolfie, as you know, for uh, 25 years, I was a city of Louisville police officer. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to ride the Smoketown area and Clarksdale Housing Projects area in, in city, inner city of Louisville. Mm-hmm. And as a part-time job, I started working uh, at Louisville Gardens, uh, which was a, a venue that held about 6,000 people. And I did... Um, all of the rock concerts on Saturday nights and R and B shows and everybody, well, from one end to the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on Tuesday nights, uh, as a, um, as a police officer, I would, with a couple of uniformed security guards, I would walk what I called back then the bad guys, uh, mm-hmm. to the wrestling ring. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, probably one of the most notable, uh, people that I actually have a, somebody took a picture of me escorting him to the ring. Uh, mm-hmm. and I'm six, six, 250 pounds. It was yeah. very interesting to see me next to Andre the giant. <laughs> um, so, um, uh, I would, I would do that. And every blue moon, the ring announcer couldn't be there. And a gentleman that used to manage uh, Louisville gardens, his name was Alan T. Uh, he would jump up there and he would do the ring announcing when the, the announcer couldn't be there. And this occurred. And Al said, I'm kind of tired of doing this stuff. Dean, do you want to be the ring announcer? Uh, well, I was always a class clown and I said, well, hell yeah, I want to be the ring announcer. That'd be a blast. Yeah. So, uh, Miss, uh, uh, Jeff Jarrett, Jerry Jarrett's mom, Jeff Jarrett's grandmother, uh, teeny, um, Christine Jarrett. Uh, right. she gave me the, uh, the list of here's who we're going to have tonight and here's how you do it. And, uh, here's the microphone and get into the ring and then we'll just work our way through it. Well, at the, uh, at the end of that night, she approached me and said, look, the guy can't be here next week either. And I really like your voice. Would you be <laughs> interested in doing it again next week? And I said, well, sure. I mean, I, I never really had watched, uh, professional wrestling and, mm-hmm. um, my grand, my grandfather was a big guy for boxing. And so, uh, I grew up watching boxing with my, with my granddad. Right. Uh, so I, I went home and I turned on professional wrestling and I found out if you lower your voice just a little bit and mm-hmm. say from the lower east side of parts unknown, Louisiana, weighing in at 273 pounds, he is, and will always be the, you know, blah, blah, blah. 
Yeah. And so, um, I put on a coat and tie and I went there that Tuesday night and I did it. And at the end of the night, Christine walked up to me and offered me the job. And oh. so, um, just a, a fluke. I, I'd never planned on it. It just kind of fell into it. Um, so I, I came in every Tuesday night at that point and, uh, I had a little jacket, had a Louisville gardens logo on the, on the breast pocket and they would hand me a microphone and a couple of bucks and said, go out here and announce these guys. Right. Um, so at that point, um, uh, of course, Jerry Lawler was a, a partner in that and, mm-hmm. uh, Jerry Jarrett, uh, and, uh, the, the, probably the person that took me under their wing, uh, and taught me, uh, and instructed me in the business and here, do this and don't do that. And such like that was a gentleman. He was originally known as the French angel. His name was Frank Morrell. Right. Yeah. He was the, uh, uh, the angel was the, uh, one of the, um, referees down there. And, um, Paul neighbors, uh, Joe Wheeler came on a little bit later on. Uh, yeah. but, uh, Frank took me under his wing and said, here's what you do. You do this. You don't do that. Uh, Jerry Jarrett said, here's the biggest thing for you to remember. Say anything that you want that we tell you to say, but you can say anything that you want before you ring the bell. And you can say anything you want after you ring the bell when mm-hmm. the match is over. But don't say a damn thing in between the bell unless you're towed to. <laughs> uh, and that, that's how I ended up getting into uh, professional wrestling. That's cool. And I was going to ask you too, and you went ahead and said it, but you, uh, you, you weren't a fan of wrestling growing up or anything like that. Like a, a lot of us to get into it. That's kind of the common story is that we were huge fans that, that made us want to be wrestlers, but your situation, you know, obviously ring announcer was just something that you fell into. So yeah, that answered my question on that. But I, I yeah. obviously throughout the years, you turned into a wrestling fan. Well, yeah, you can't be involved in it without it pulling you into it. Uh, <laughs> and it's not that I, it's not that I didn't like professional wrestling. I had just never really watched it. Uh, right. I was busy being a, a, a police officer. I was a musician my whole life. So I was playing in, in bands and thought I was a rock star. And, uh, uh so then I, all of a sudden I fell into this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as you, you start to, um, be drawn into the business and occasionally they would, uh, uh, involve me in, uh, I all of a sudden would get grabbed by somebody that I didn't know was going to grab me and little things mm-hmm. like that. And one thing just kind of led to another. Yeah. And then even when Randy Hales took over the book, he had you, and I don't know if you did this before. I, I don't recall it, but like, Randy then had you be on TV more instead of just at the at the gardens doing the intros. You were actually on TV doing some interviews specific to Louisville. Yeah, they wanted to uh, because sometimes you know as they came to Louisville on Tuesday nights, uh, they would bring uh, the, the card in there and they wanted to highlight what was going to happen next week uh, right. specific to Louisville. And so they had uh, Randy West. Uh, I believe I have his first name, right? I'm sure I got the last name, right? Uh, he, uh, he came, uh, and he would bring the, the camera up there and they would say, Dean, here's basically what we want you to say. And when Lance and Dave would go to a commercial, I would come on uh, wave TV here in, um, in Louisville, Kentucky. And this Tuesday night, Louisville gardens, it's going to be blah, 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 blah. You know, a superstar Bill Dundee and Jerry Jarrett in a loser leaves sound match or whatever. Uh, and then Rand- Randy West, 
um, he said, you got to have some kind of a closing thing. Uh, I know, tell them I'll see you at ringside. So mm-hmm. that became my little tag phrase that, uh, at the blah, 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 when I'm done with it, I'd say, I'm Dean Hill, see you at ringside. And so that became my little thing. Yeah. That's and awesome. I, I told you, as we talked yesterday, or uh, uh, just a little bit, but you had, you did have the look, man. Yeah. You were taller than everybody else, but I think it, you were kind of like, uh, Louisville's Michael Buffer. Almost. You had the, the Raleigh fingers mustache and it just, you had a good look for it and obviously the voice for it too. So it, it, it was, uh, it worked out really well. I thought for you, Yeah, I, I wore, uh, I wore glasses back then. Uh, they were kind of the teardrop style glasses and yeah, I had a handlebar mustache for 38 years before everybody else had it because I wanted to look different than everybody else. Yeah. And, uh, I'm, I'm six, six, 250 pounds. So I was a uh, matter of fact, a, a funny note was uh, uh, Jamie's dad, the superstar Bill Dundee, uh, wasn't <laughs> necessarily six six, and so uh, whenever we get into the ring, he'd go, "Get away from me! Get away from me!" <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you ever put him in your pocket? <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> no, but I tell you what, I did do. I had a really cool motorcycle. Uh, it was just a Honda seven fifty, but I had it tricked out, and I had this really wild paint job. Uh, on the gas tank and bill thought that bike was really cool so he asked if if he could take pictures sitting on my motorcycle and he, he did and i think he sold a lot of pictures of sitting on my motorcycle and i never got a thank you for it <laughs> I, hope, understands I hope you're that. listening bill dundee i hope you're listening cut me a check <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then, then also something else that, uh, that you and i touched on uh, and i'd like for you to go into that story uh because I thought that, I mean, you and Lance would have been a great uh, uh, duo, or, or or a three a three deal with you, Lance, and and Dave, you know, um, and and God rest his soul, Corey was all right. Corey didn't know the names of moves and stuff like that, and uh, which right. kind of makes it funny. And the imitations of Corey McIlhenny are, are some of the classics, but. Uh, Tell me, you you when when Jerry Jarrett sold his end of it, and Larry Burton comes in, tell me, tell them that story that you were telling me. Well, um, he approached me and he said that uh, we're going to move somebody else into the position next to Lance, and I really uh, I like your voice, and I think that that you've got a good look, uh, and that would add a little bit of. At the time, I was a little younger than. Lance. And so that would add a little youth into it. And, uh, I think you all would be a great team. I said, well, I'm, I'm honored uh, to do that. And what well, can you be, um, in Memphis or, uh, I can't remember if it was Memphis or Nashville. I think it was Memphis that they filmed it. Yeah, I may be but, wrong, uh, but he said, can you be there this Saturday? Well, at the time I mentioned, I was a musician uh, and I was a police officer. Well, the police department had an anti-drug rock band, back then called street heat. And we played, uh, anti-drug stuff for all the fifth and sixth graders in the Jefferson County public school system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we had a gig that we were playing that Saturday in Madisonville, Kentucky. And I said, well, I've, I've got this gig and I can't not do it because that's like a day of me being employed by the PD. So, but I can make arrangements to be off the next uh, Saturday and I can be there. And so, well, we're going to pay you this amount of money. We're going to give you a free hotel room. Uh, so you just come down and plan on doing it and you spend the night and go back to Louisville the next day. And I was excited uh, mm-hmm. to do that. And um, so I went and did uh, the gig in Madisonville and 
uh, came back and got ready Tuesday night, got my clothes on and went down. Uh, back then I'd went out and bought some tuxedos. So I had my tux on and all this stuff and, uh, went down to Louisville gardens and all the wrestlers were standing out front and the doors were locked. Mm-hmm. And as it turned out, uh, this guy that was supposed to be, uh, I guess the savior of, uh, of USWA yeah. or he's going to take it over, uh, yeah. was, uh, perhaps not a legit person. Um, I don't, uh, yeah. they apparently came down and, and locked the doors and the wrestlers were standing out front meeting all the fans as they came up saying that, uh, apparently we're not going to be down here anymore. And I'm not sure what's, what's going to happen. And, uh, I'm hoping we'll be back, but we really don't know. And, yeah. um, even, even wildfire, Tommy rich was trying to say, Hey, hey Dean, you know, these, uh, all these people down here, you can promote this. You can start this place down here, you know, keep <laughs> us going. Well, I had no clue how to do any of that stuff. Right. Uh, so, um, that, that was the story. I, I was basically one week away from being Lance Russell's partner and they folded the organization. Yeah. Mm. And I remember it, man. It sucked when it went out of business, man. Cause that was like my home, you know, been to uh, lots of other federations, but Memphis was home and it was just kind of sad to see it go. Although, you know, you gotta say Memphis outlasted everything. It was the last territory to go. So that's some of the biggest, some of the biggest professional wrestlers, uh, of, of these, these past era of professional wrestling, uh, wrestled with us for us or came through us. Uh, right. I got, I had the opportunity of, uh, announcing all of these guys before they went on to the next level. There was right. one gentleman, he was called the master of pain. Uh, yeah. he went on to become the undertaker. Yeah. Uh, there was a, another gentleman who was called stunning, uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, stunning Steve Austin went on to become uh, Stone Cold. Yeah. Uh, there was a gentleman that'll probably kill me if if he hears me say this. But when they brought him out, it was during the Christmas season, and they brought yeah. him to the ring as something called the Christmas <laughs> Creature. Uh, and, and and right now, if he's hearing this, he's going, "Oh, please don't say my name." But uh, he went on. To, <laughs> he went on to become Kane. Uh, yeah. And then uh, the last guy's name was uh, Flex Kavana. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, there was a lot of huge stars from Jerry and Tojo Yamamoto and, and uh, obviously Lawler and Dundee and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, a guy named Cactus Jack with Mick Foley. Uh, mm-hmm. But this guy, was name was Flex Kavana. And uh, he came up to me one day and said, uh, hey, Dean, I'm going to Connecticut. Thanks for putting me over. And <laughs> um, so uh, for those of you that don't know, Connecticut meant that uh, Vince McMahon just hired him. And uh, putting him over, telling everybody how great he was. You better get your picture with him now. Well, they <laughs> took him to Connecticut, and they changed his name from Flex Cavana to Prince Rocky Mahavia, and obviously became The Rock. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We yeah. started on the same pay-per-view. He started November 96 Survivor Series. That's when me and Jamie started doing the, the nation thing on the same pay-per-view. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 
Hey folks, to get your official Live It In Color with Wolfie D merchandise, go to ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash Live Wolfie D. Check it out. If you're listening to Live It In Color with Wolfie D on Apple Podcast and like what you're hearing, go ahead and leave a five-star rating. And while you're at it, write a review. Tell us what you liked. Tell us what you'd like to hear in the future. It's very important to us and always appreciated. Thanks again. I'm a mid-Atlantic kid. You know, I grew up on trucking Tom Miller and Gary Michael Capetta, these kinds of guys. But once I started realizing that everything that I had seen from the Louisville Gardens that meant anything, you were call- you were announcing, I was like, yes, I need to dig deeper into this guy. And then, of course, Wolfie says, hey, Dean Hill, we're going to talk to him. And so it got me even more excited about talking to you. So when I did that, You know, I found out some things about you and, you know, it's going to veer us off a little bit of the wrestling and I believe Wolfie can bring it right back. But tell me some of the cool stories from the Louisville Gardens back in the day, especially in your early days when you were there. Well, I I know the uh, I know where the car is that uh, Wolfie and Jamie stole the hubcaps off of for their their (laughs) chain around. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Gosh, uh, cool things from from Louisville Gardens. Uh, wow. There's so many, I'm trying to lock myself in. I mean, there's, there were so many great wrestlers that came through there and so many, uh, wild matches. And one of the, one of the weirdest things, um, actually is, it has a police relationship to it. Um, Louisville gardens was adored by a lot of wrestling fans around Louisville. Uh, the, the gardens that I'm referring to obviously wrestling night there. Uh, but it was extremely loved by the, what we call the, the West end or the Portland area, um, of Louisville. And, um, those people lived for coming to Louisville gardens on, on Tuesday nights. And they had, they were doing some statistics about uh, crime and different things uh, for the police department all over um, the city, but they they saw something very strange. They couldn't re- figure out why in Portland every Tuesday night from seven o'clock until eleven o'clock there was virtually no domestic trouble. Yeah. Uh, there was no husbands and wives arguing about stuff. Where the police would have to come. All of them were coming to Louisville Gardens on Tuesday nights, and it would like drop off the face of the earth, and then they would get home by about ten thirty, and then it would pick back up at eleven o'clock. <laughs> uh, so they they were a lot of dedicated fans that that came down there. Um, and let's see, uh, just all the different combinations of of great professional wrestlers uh, is probably the the biggest story about Louisville Gardens. It was just an every Tuesday night tradition. Um, and I was just very honored to, to be a part of it, to play a part of it. Um, I watched, uh, you know, I, I mentioned to you about some of the other great professionals that went on to the, the next level, but, uh, there was guys that were just, um, members of their individual, uh, organizations that would go from different organization to different organization before, before Vince bought all of the top talent from all of the ones around, uh, the nation. And you would get these guys that all of a sudden would show up, 
uh, hey, man, where have you been? Oh, I was in Texas for the last three weeks. And then all of a sudden he'd show up at, in Louisville and he worked in the Louisville area for some period of time. Then he would go over to another part of the country. And that was just, it was so interesting to me that how these guys traveled around the United States uh, before, again, before Vince decided to buy uh, all the pieces and, and start the WW, what was back then the WWF. Yeah. yeah. And, and I just want to say that only on this podcast, have we gotten proof, proof that pro wrestling brings down crime rates? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Let it be known, kids. That's right. <laughs> what about some cool musical acts that came through the Louisville Gardens? Do you, anybody you remember seeing or, or, oh, or let's say top oh, three? Uh, I, yeah, I, I don't want to rattle on too long, but I can do much better than that. Okay. Um, I love it. I love it. I, uh, I have, I've met. Uh, so many people uh, that you can't believe. Uh, my first concert that I started was by a company called Company, a band called uh, Black Oak, Arkansas. Uh, oh, the yeah. song back then was uh, Go Jim Dandy, Go Jim Dandy. Uh, oh, yeah. The last show that I ever played was Easy E and the NWA with Dr. Dre. Wow. Uh, I was just I was ready to retire, and I left Louisville Gardens and retired. But uh, in between, um, I sold a gun to Steven Tyler of Aerosmith. Uh, I had a steak <laughs> dinner one day with Ted Nugent. Uh, I was a bodyguard one uh, four-day weekend for Barbara Mandrell, who was the Reba McIntyre of her generation. Oh, yeah. Um, this, this is one of my favorite little stories uh, about the gardens. Um, there was, Louisville Gardens was a, a building of held 55, 6,000 people. And the gardens was the place that a person came to when they were going up the ladder or when they were coming back down the ladder. When uh, you're at the top of the ladder, you're at Broadbent Arena, Kentucky Fairgrounds, where you, it can hold 25,000 people. Uh, this, this young performer had just put out his first album, uh, and he was going up the ladder. So he was performing at Louisville Gardens. Uh, he, he had hired the vice president of the New York Outlaws to be his head of security. And so I met this guy and he said, so, so you're a cop. I said, well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a police officer. He says, okay, so I'll, you know, we're going to get along. I said, uh, this is who I am. And his name is like, I want to see Tony. I, I don't know if that's right. So many years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, I want this and this and this. I'll make sure you do this and make sure you cover that. And I want to, I want you to put somebody on this back door and I don't want you to open that door for nothing. Nobody. If we go out the door, that's fine. You can wait for us there for us to come back in. But if somebody knocks on that door, you do not let them in. You do not open it for nothing. No problem. So I, I was uh, uh, running security, and, and uh, uh, Andy Frayne was working for us. So I had the, the manager of Andy Frayne said, put uh, uh, Usher on the back door. and He doesn't open it. Here's what he does So and what he doesn't do. So about an hour later, the first act is uh, starting to finish up. And I get a message on the radio that says, uh, Dean, get to the back door quick. This uh, security man back here is going off the deep end on your usher. So I run back there, and he's just ripping this kid's rear end. And so I put my hand in the kid's chest. I'm moving backwards, and I stepped in front of him. And I said, he doesn't get paid to yell, get yelled at. I do. What's the <laughs> problem? Well, he starts just ripping my rear end about this, so I just let him go. And the gentleman that was the producer of this show was standing about six feet away. And I said, are you done? And he goes, yes. I said, you 
stupid? And I just ripped into him. You told me to put so you told me not to do this. You're the one that did this. You're the one that gave me the instructions. I followed the instructions, blah, blah, blah. And so uh, that was a, that was a rip Rogers, blah, blah, blah. So, <laughs> so that about that time, the gentleman that was producer said, walked over and he says, this officer's right. You're the one that screwed this up. And he just tore his rear end up. He said, if you make another mistake like this, you are fired from uh, this tour. And so this gentleman is standing in the back alley of Louisville gardens with his guitar in his hand and cannot get into his own concert. And his name was Prince. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> and I, I imagine you're six, six, right? Two fifty, right. and maybe two thirty at the time, but whatever. Right. Uh, Prince is not six, six. He may be near the five of Bill Dundee, right? <laughs> <laughs> he, he reminded me of that little guy that does the commercial for uh, Dr. Pepper. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you're right on that. I think that's his goal. Actually. <laughs> oh, oh, he, was, he was, he was an amazing guitar player and, and quite an entertainer. Uh, Absolutely. but I, I had, I had another gentleman that was on stage and he was, uh, he played piano. He played, uh, uh, kind of a blues, uh, and, uh, uh, Motown stuff. And, uh, he was playing the piano and he knew a couple of us were up there, uh, watching him and, uh, he hit a wrong note. I don't know if he did it intentionally. I would almost imagine that he did. And he stopped for a second and he looked down and he took his glasses. Remember he's blind. He took his glasses and he lifted them up. Like, you know, he's looking at the note and we just popped. We just were barrel laughing up there. And his name was Ray Charles. Ray Charles. Oh my God. That's amazing. That's one of my all time favorites. <laughs> oh yeah. They, the, uh, there, uh, one other little quick story. I don't want to get too far away from wrestling. I'll make this quick. We had Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young there. And oh. Stephen Stills was on stage awesome. doing his sound check. And there wasn't but like three or four people in, in the building. And I was a big uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young fan. And he was doing Sweet Judy, Blue Eyes. And that was a, a song that me and some of my friends used to always do. And I would sing that song. And there was a, a very high note in it. And I'm standing there listening to him sing it, and I'm singing it with him. And he goes to hit this, and it's a spot where he stops, and there's no music. It's just his voice. And he stops, and he tries to hit the note, and he, he his voice goes out. He doesn't hit it. I hit it. Uh. And he turned, over, he turned over and looked at me, gave me a thumbs up. <laughs> is that a falsetto for you dean that you're doing uh, yeah <laughs> okay yeah okay. It, was, it was a high note yeah i had to strain for it but i hit it that's impressive but, yeah that's a lot of a lot of great stories uh for my years at louisville gardens but uh those were uh here and there and be three weeks before we do another concert every tuesday night was wrestling that's awesome yeah so yeah let's let's reel it back we obviously have to talk about ovw danny davis uh al and all those guys so when i when i uh called jimmy and uh wanted to change from being wolfie d to being slash uh ovw was the place that i originally started doing that um right so you were doing announcing there too you'd been doing announcing for danny for a while what got it into the situation where you took some ownership there? Because that was way after. 
Right. Well, it started with uh, Danny decided he wanted to get off the road and wanted to start uh, a school. And so he went uh, to Lawler and said, I'd like to use Dean. Would you mind if I use Dean for my shows? And Lawler said, sure, you can use him. So that, that's how I got involved there. Right. And uh, he started wanting to start the TV show. Uh, and I, I did the first 1,100 TV shows for OVW. And my partners were uh, everybody from the beginning. It was Rip Rogers and Dutch Mantell did a couple with me and Les Thatcher. Uh, and then um, uh, ended up, uh, Al did some, but also did uh, Jim Cornette. Uh, Kenny Bolin and uh, Timothy Baltimore were all in there, but Bolin, oh, excuse me, not Bolin, but uh, Cornette, uh, Cornette was amazing. And basically it became a situation where Jimmy would talk for like 15 minutes and then I would add a few things while he took a drink of his Sprite. <laughs> and then <laughs> he would get back into it because he, he could, he could talk for 20 minutes, keep you on the edge of your seat and never say the same thing twice. Exactly. And that was always very impressive about, about him. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, OVW, uh, was an amazing thing because it was because of Jimmy. Um, mm. Danny had a great thing going on, but then Jimmy made the arrangements for, uh, Jim Ross and, um, advanced to send us talent to teach. Right. Uh, and I walk, I walk into the area behind mechanic street, uh, in Jeffersonville, Indiana one day for our show. And there's all these new people standing in the parking lot. I didn't have any idea, idea who they were. And mm-hmm. uh, they all come up and introduce themselves to me. It's very nice of them. But we had, um, uh, one guy called the prototype. He went on to become John Cena. Uh, we had a guy called Leviathan that went on to become uh, Dave Batista. Um, uh, Brock Lesnar, Randy Orton, uh, just a slew of, uh, of professional wrestlers. And then as we branched out into, um, you know, you guys coming in and they would send us, uh, they sent us, gosh, they, they sent us the big show. They sent us Mark Henry. Uh, mm-hmm. we had a, a lot of, of great professional wrestlers. Um, and it allowed you, uh, to, you know, become who you were. I mean, you just, you jumped off the, the charts when you had that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Let's take a quick time out and get a word from one of my dope-ass sponsors, and we'll be right back with more Live and in Color with Wolfie D. Hey folks, this is Wolfie D here, and if you are looking to buy or sell a home in Tennessee or Southern Kentucky, you're going to want to call my buddy, the rock star realtor, Benji Bowie. And you say, Wolfie, how do I get in touch with this rock star? Well, you can call him directly at 615-390-8216. You can go to his website, BowieHomes.com. That's B-U-I-E Homes.com. Or you can email him at BenBowie34 at gmail.com. When you need a home, you need the Rockstar Realtor. Benji is a member of Exit Realty's Garden Gate team in Gallatin, Tennessee. So when did you, uh, Danny just decided he was done, I guess. And it, or did you team up with him first as far as the ownership stuff? I'm not sure how the, that went. Uh, how that went? Um, yeah. <laughs> Danny wanted to not be in the limelight as much. Uh, he wanted to um, concentrate more on the training. Um, and so he asked me if I was interested in, um, becoming the, uh, 
um, the majority owner of mm-hmm. OEW. Uh, mm-hmm. So I took that position uh, to be able to uh, do more on the, the television show. Uh, I was at the point where I had been uh, doing the play-by-play and the ring announcing for so many years, and there was a, a young gentleman that came up to us from Charleston, West Virginia, uh, that was a news anchor there. Uh, he mm-hmm. wanted to get into professional wrestling. He transferred to Louisville, Kentucky, uh, and his name was Gilbert Corsi. He's one of the biggest uh, reporters here in Louisville right now. Uh, exactly. And so it was a matter of transitioning out. Um, and then Danny was uh, getting to the point where he thought he was ready to retire. Uh, he had been doing it for so many years and, and had sent so many superstars um, to to the next level, including yourself. Uh-huh. Uh, you were on the way, but as you mentioned in uh, something I saw you uh, talk about was uh, a gentleman that took you to the next level. Yeah. Um, so that, that was the nightmare, Danny Davis. Yeah. And he was just uh, ready to, um, to retire, but he didn't want to just walk away from what he had created. Uh, he had two or three different uh, people that had shown interest in uh, maybe buying OVW and uh, everything that he had there, uh, but he turned them down because he thought that they were going to change everything so much. Yeah. And then our good friend um, and WWE superstar uh, Al Snow uh, approached him, and Danny was uh, said, "You know, that's that's what I'm looking for. Uh, it isn't, you know, it was the money, but it isn't so much the money. It's somebody that I trust to take this and and keep it going in the direction that I I was hoping it would go. Yeah. And that was Al. And then uh, I was going to retire at that point too." And mm-hmm. cause I'd been in it for like 28 years and that's uh, a longer career than a lot of guys that are at the top level have ever had. Yeah. Uh, of course I wouldn't get beat up. <laughs> I wouldn't get beat up like you were getting beat up. You know, I was just standing there talking and, and such. But, uh, uh, so Al approached me and said, I need somebody. I'd like for you to be the commissioner of OVW and mm-hmm. you can turn the play by play and all that stuff over to Gilbert and whoever. And I'd just like for you to be the commissioner. And that was perfect for me. It allowed me to stay in it just a little bit longer. And, um, I didn't have the, they have to be on, on perfect, uh, on the edge of the sword perfectly for the entire 60 minutes. I would just go in and do a little something to come out. Mm-hmm. That's how that, that's how that transfer went. And Danny, uh, moved to uh, Florida and I still see, and, uh, we text each other from time to time. And every once in a while, he'll ride his motorcycle up here. or I'll ride my motorcycle and we'll go out together. Danny and I and another friend of mine flew to uh, Los Angeles, and uh, after we had retired from OVW, we flew there and had motorcycles there, and we rode the Pacific Coast Highway together. Really? That's cool. Super that cool. is cool. That is very cool. That's a dream of mine. So. Yeah. I got to ask this, because, you know, our personal favorite wrestler on this show, you know, he has gone through a couple changes throughout his career. You know, we talk about him all the time. I know he's Wolfie's number one favorite, but he's also my favorite is Wolfie D. And what was it like when you remember the Wolfie D of PG-13 and then to see him in this new look with slash what what were your thoughts at that time whenever you saw that convergence happen <laughs> well when, when i first saw them it was like um it was the first 
it was the first time that someone was bringing the kind of the rap, uh, punkish, I'm not sure of the words to use for it, but with the, the big yeah. hubcaps and the chains and, and all that kind of stuff, it was one of the first times that, that they had ever seen anything like that. And it, it really just uh, created its own course through uh, USWA, but it was obvious that, um, especially Wolfie, because he was the larger of the two, uh, Jamie was the speed and the moves and all this stuff. And, and Wolfie had all that as well, but it was, it was time at that point to take Wolfie and bring him to another level and the slash, the look, the, uh, the crazed, uh, character for lack of a better term, uh, the kind of, the kind of guy that, you know, if you saw PG 13 in the, in the alley, you would think that, well, you know, Hey, we're just going to do some rapping, you know, and, and talk about some stuff, you know, and give each other a high five and, and go a different direction. If you saw a slash in an alley, you want to know where your gun was. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the look. And but by that time he had already gone to a, another level when he went into the WWE, uh, I, I was still back here and, and concentrating on, you know, getting out to the Cena's and, or I didn't get them out. I was just announcing them the Danny and, and the hustler rip Rogers, which gets a big shout out in OVW because of everything that he did in the organization. And of course, Cornette, uh, it goes without saying, but, uh, Wolfie took himself to another level and had a, a great career and deservedly so. Thank you, Dean. I appreciate that. And it brought up uh, the idea when you said this crazed character. I don't know if you remember. A lot of people bring it up to me about the time that uh, you and Cornette were up in the, you know, the announce booth that was pretty high, you know. And then, and I did the deal where I had that knife and I came running and I jumped and, and I was trying to stab Cornette with it. You remember that? Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't remember the motivation, but I do remember what you attempted to do. And, <laughs> and uh, uh, Jimmy's eyes got quite large at that moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of people that bring that up to you. Like, Man, you were going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's that was what your character was, and it was the per you were the perfect person for that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So, yeah, you know, with all this being said about, you know, Wolfie and, and, and things like that, whenever that influx of talent that came in to OVW, did you feel like, because, you know, we've talked about this in the past and Wolfie's kind of figured it out in his life. You know, a lot of the guys that were these real road warrior, and I don't mean the tag team road warriors, but, you know, in a sense, these road warrior, these carpenters that had built the legacy of the business on their back, you know, they get this influx of guys like Cena, guys like Batista. What were the thoughts at the time? Because we don't get to talk OVW as much as I would like. What were the thoughts at the time when those guys were kind of essentially pushed out because Jim could not really do much? much more with them because of so many other less talented workers coming in. Do you remember that time and, and kind of what the feeling was at that time? Well, are you talking about the less talented workers? Uh, not WCW, getting, like those guys. So getting, where they wanted to be, or are you talking about Cena and Batista and them being pushed onto the WWE? Which way are you going? I guess what I mean is the guys that were actually really good, talented workers kind of getting cast aside for the looks guys, the guys that, okay, you know what I'm saying? Like, right. Uh, I, I do. Uh, that was, 
you know, the, the real behind the scenes part of that is, uh, something that was, uh, behind closed doors between the management, uh, gotcha. and not so much me. Um, but I did see guys that probably their, their dream was to be in professional wrestling. And I believe that once they really got into it, uh, there were those that fed off of it and, and, and was, was pulled, uh, forward into it. Uh, your Nick Dinsmore that became Eugene and Rob Conway and, and some of those oh, yeah. guys, but there were also some of the other ones that realized that once they got put into, um, an organization that has the real deal in there that they're starting to see that, well, you know, this has been a dream, but maybe I shouldn't quit my real job. Uh, gotcha. cause I may not, you know, I'm just going to be able to perhaps live the dream a little bit here, but I can say that I've lived the dream. And those are the guys that even though they didn't make it to the next level, will always talk about the one time that they got to do a collar and elbow lockup with John Cena or with it, Batista threw, threw me into the front row. You know, they'll, they'll always have, they probably got that clip at home and will always keep that clip. Sure. And I, I know that there are, were some that were probably disappointed, uh, but I think the majority of the ones uh, said, you know, okay, I, I realize it now. You know, you think you're a great football player uh, in high school until you get into a college where they're all a great football player, and you realize that, well, maybe I wasn't as big as I thought I was. Right. And I, I think that a lot of those had that, uh, and there are those that stayed uh, stayed with it because they loved being part of they love being part of the crew of OVW that, Hey, I can say that I worked with these guys and I helped maybe make them who they are today. And so that was the, where they hung their hat. Um, and there's a lot of quality people that, um, stayed with OVW for years that n never actually made it to the next level. Um, and a lot of those guys, as they ended up deciding to fade away from OVW, uh, we're still working with the the next level below OVW and some of the uh, you know the National Guard armories and stuff like that in their hometowns and they became their own little superstars in their at their level would be the best way to put it. Yeah, yeah. I saw Rip uh, at the convention the other week. I don't know if you've seen him in a while. Uh, I haven't seen him in a while, but I do keep track of what he puts on social media. And I saw the pictures of you all. and It was very cool. Yeah. Cool, man. Dean, you know, we definitely appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much. We'll definitely have to have you back on, maybe do some kind of watch along with you or something fun like that, just to kind of reminisce a little more with you. I always like to ask the current guest, uh, what do you got going on right now? What is your deal right now? You mean in my real life? Yeah, what are you doing? I saw you might be like a radio host of your own, kind of a traveling well, radio host. Uh, it's uh, I, I retired in 2020 uh, from OVW, um, and um, 32 years in the business was uh, long enough. I enjoyed it, but I appreciated it. Uh, and so I'm retired now, and I, uh, but I keep busy. Uh, I can't sit around the house. There's only so much Dr. Phil you can watch. Uh, so I, I took a... I took a little, uh, a little part-time job, uh, uh, with a, uh, car rental company. So I spend some of my time of the days, uh, driving cars around and picking people up at their houses and bringing them back and, and, uh, just, uh, something to give me something to do. I, I married a cowgirl. 
So I've got uh, a small farm with four horses on it. There's always something to do here around the, the farm. But uh, I also, my daughter is a nurse and she works in senior living facilities. And I was, I quit playing music and I got away from uh, my, my OVW years. I said, honey, do you all hire entertainers? Well, yeah, dad, they do all the time. Uh, so I put together a make-believe radio station. It's called WYOU Radio, taking you back in time. And I go uh, and take a, a computer and a little speaker and a little table, and uh, I set it up in the senior homes, and uh, I researched the the songs that they like because most of the people in the senior homes are in their mid-'80s, so that's 1950s. Uh, mm-hmm. So I put together uh, five different shows I thought the only thing better than me going in there and singing Elvis Presley was to have Elvis Presley sing Elvis Presley and have yeah. Frank Sinatra sing Frank Sinatra. Uh, oh, and I got to tell you that story real quick too. Uh, so I go there and I entertain. I got the commercials from back then and uh, et cetera. But I wanted to tell you this. You talked about people at Louisville Gardens that I met. I had a gentleman that uh, was getting ready to sing in the, the round at Louisville Gardens, but he had a sore throat. And he wanted to see uh, the local doctor, see if he would give him a little shot of whatever to make his throat feel better. Uh, And so I took the doctor back there into the room, and it was Frank Sinatra. And uh, Frank Frank had a guy standing with him that was wearing a red satin, like a high school, uh, uh, not jersey, but a high school coat uh, that you'd button up the front of it and everything. And he had, uh, yeah, and he had a... um, had his name monogrammed on it and it said chill c-h-i-l-l and we were about the same size and his nose was slightly bent to the right and uh, i looked at him and i noticed under his left arm was a large bulge and so i he he said i'm i'm are you on frank's uh, security i said well i'm I run security here. So uh, I figured he was a made man from the mafia. Yeah. It was they're taking care of Frank. That was my Frank Sinatra story. That's awesome. Thank <laughs> you for sharing that. <laughs> oh my God. That's like saving the best for last Dean. Come on, brother. <laughs> no, that was, that was, that was kind of wild. Yeah, I'd say so. Well, thank you again for coming on. All right, I'm hearing those sounds right now from WYOU. Ladies and gentlemen, one more time for Mr. Dean Hill. And that's taking us into Current Affairs. DJ, hit the music. It's a current affair. It's a current affair. And we're back with current affairs. And today, Wolfie, we have a docket full of current affairs. But obviously, Wolfie D, our biggest current affair for this episode is Portland, Tennessee, the reunion of PG-13. Tell us all about it, man. Man, it was a blast, man. Um, I wasn't sure whether Jamie was going to show up or not. He did, finally. A little bit casually uh late i guess you would say you know <laughs> if you're gonna be late uh, be so late that they're glad to see you right kind of right deal. i've always heard that uh but yeah he got there man and uh you know the past heat or whatever we had a little talk on the side and buried the hatchet and uh was ready to do our thing man um 
I can't I can't say enough about the fans, man. We had fans uh, come from Louisville. We had fans come from uh, Evansville, Nashville, and then of course the people that live there in Portland. Uh, you know, and, and we talked about this somewhere that I lived for a little while. Uh, and, and another good pop was you know Doug getting on the people, and I got on the mic and said, "Hey, I don't think you know this, Doug, but I used to live here, and you talking about these people, you're talking." about me type of deal and they pop for that but they pop for everything man i had a very nostalgic um uh music uh entrance music that you did for me that i asked you to do i had an idea and you did that for me within 30 minutes and uh <laughs> awesome and the people got with it like every song that played it was like it took them down memory lane before we ever walked out i could hear them cheering dancing doing the hip-hop parade wave everything so i, I looked at jamie i said this is going to be easy, man, you know, and uh, we get out there and man, the people uh, popped like crazy. You know, we did really good uh, in merchandise sales. They were very happy to see us, man. It was it was it was awesome, man. And it just makes me thankful. And I appreciate the fans so much, man, because it's at a point, you know, where you're still trying to make it and stuff like that. Yeah, you, you kind of don't know, you know, what did you mean to these people? And especially when you're, yeah, we were drawing and stuff. And obviously we knew we were, we were over back then, but at this point in our lives, when we can get back together and that be such a big event, and I've seen posts all over Facebook of people just like, man, this was my childhood, man, this was great. And we didn't, you know, obviously I'm not in the shape. Jamie's not in the shape, you know, and, and Doug and, and Chris was in great shape. Right? Chris was probably the in best shape than anybody in the ring, but uh, just being able to um, to go out there and 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 do minimal stuff, but still good stuff, if that makes sense, you know, to take care of ourselves, but still make the people uh, really like it. And I mean, I've seen a, a number of people put match of the night, and man, I didn't watch the other words, but I'm sure those guys uh, under us did a lot more than we did, <laughs> but. <laughs> We didn't have to, you know, we just had to do us and man, what a reaction and just the fans brought stuff to sign and uh, that I had never seen before. So and that, it always happens like that. I love it. That's the cool part of it. But getting to see Jeff and, and, and you know, even though we had a match with Chris and, and Doug, those, you know, I go way back with those guys and and seeing Bill, you know, bless him. And I had to help him in the ring at the end because I wanted all of us to do the fargo strut and uh I, I literally had to help bill into the ring and his uh his mind uh has has unfortunately deteriorated and yeah man but it was it was awesome man it was awesome seeing everybody and the fans were great i mean it was just it made me feel good you know like oh, hey, it's all worth it and i was I moved better than I did in the Jackson match. Uh, you know, I had trained a little bit more and tried to get my parts better so that I could move better, and I did. And, uh, of course, still, man, let me tell you something. You can do all the cardio you want. I mean, and I did lots of different stuff that I usually don't do. I didn't even do a lot of weightlifting before this. I right. did a cardio uh, uh, like it, like hit training, high intensity interval training. I did that, but I'm gonna tell you, man. Something, it's it, ring shape is 
a way different beast. I don't care what you do, you know, because I was getting aware at the gym doing the stuff I was doing. I was like, I'm not even blown up. I can't wait till Saturday. <laughs> Shit, I was <would> love <laughs> dancing and coming to the ring and going around greeting the fans. I, before I ever rolled in the ring, I was blown up. <laughs> well, adrenaline, you know, adrenaline can can spike and then that causes yeah. you to blow up. Is that part of what they call like ring shape is is handling that adrenaline? I guess it can be, but I don't know, man. I was just like it's just different. It just is totally different. And, and the one person I remember telling me that is Tracy Smothers, man. He said, ring shape's different. I yeah. don't care how much cardio you do. Ring shape is different. And that's the truth, man. I mean, just, it's hard to explain. Right. But it was awesome, man. It really was an awesome night. Uh, and the people of Portland, and like I said, the surrounding areas came down to see it and, it really felt like uh, they were there to see us together, and they were so happy to see us together, you know? Yeah, yeah. I saw pictures, and, yeah. you're, you know, it was a packed house. You know, like you said, Portland, Tennessee is is one of your homes. Tell me this. So, in the ring, you know, you and Jamie, I, I saw you guys. It was hilarious. I saw the video that you did at the booty bump. And yeah. then, but then after that, how did it feel after that? Like, did it feel kind of like a bicycle getting back on it? Or was it like, hey, we got to put a little more effort behind this? What, what I mean, you, you oh, and him, the yeah, chemistry. I mean, it's like riding a bicycle, but at the same time, man, just, you know, with the injuries I've got and stuff, uh, moving around, like I said, I was better, but it's just the little things, timing and stuff, uh, sure. felt, I'm not going to say off because I, I would hate to admit that I was a little off, but just certain things, man, just like there was a point where, you know, in the, in the hot tag, when I came in, elbowed Chris and then. I don't know, some kind of way. I just almost tripped over him to get to Doug and just little timing things like that were a little off, but sure. I, sure. I think I covered it enough to not make it look bad or anything like that. Hell, I did a, I did a good arm drag uh, and it was funny cause I did the arm drag and this guy in the crowd was like, God, that was a good arm drag. And then I start having a conversation with him. And as I've got Chris in the arm bar, I'm like, that was Ricky Steamboat, wasn't it? I said, that shit was deep. I said, <laughs> not. I said that was Ricky Steamboat. He's like, yeah, so it <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you know, we just talked about a Ricky Steamboat arm drag, too. Yeah. So that's, that's awesome. So, okay, we got the night. And it, just tell us, I mean, it looks like Pro Wrestling Entertainment runs a top-notch program there. Oh, absolutely. That's, uh, Jason James, got to put him over, man. Uh, he did a great job. You got the quarterback club up there selling tickets, too. So those kids, you got to you know put them over for, for helping out on that. And Like I said, just all in all, good show, good production. You know, it was, it, was, it was really good, man. They said it was the biggest advanced ticket sale they had had ever in the history of that show, the annual show. Um I'm going to guess, uh, I want to say there was somewhere between six, 700 people. And for a town like that, uh, that's really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, that's awesome. I know you saw another Portland, Tennessee native there and sponsor of our show, Benji Bowie. How was he, man? Benji was having a great time, man. Yeah. Uh, 
I set him up a table uh, right next to me so he could hand out his uh, cards. And again, anybody in Tennessee, Southern Kentucky that's looking to buy or sell a home, please go see the rock star realtor, Benji Bowie. Uh, got to see his wife, hadn't seen in years. His daughter, who used to hang out with my daughter, play softball, saw her. Yeah, it was really cool, man. And Benji uh, uh, texted me and, you know, they had a great time. So, yeah, that was awesome, too. Well, that's awesome, brother. Well, hey, you know, the biggest point is is we're talking to you right now. So everything went through successfully. No injuries happened that, that would have delayed this or any kind of thing, you know. You when know. I got out of bed this morning, I, my first step was towards the dresser so I could hold up on it. Yeah. Uh, and the next step was to the wall so I could hold up on it. Yeah. And then that was to the towel rack, which is next to the toilet so I could pee and hold onto the towel rack. <laughs> I was hurting. I mean, I got in the shower after that and let that probably a good 20 minute shower of hot water and yeah. you know, up a little bit. But I can't imagine how sore Jamie is right now because uh, uh, the, the rumors of him working out were not true. Um, <laughs> he was blown sky high. I was too, but he took the heat. And it was funny if you watch the match, he actually refused to get in the ring at one point. Uh, <laughs> His karate stuff and was so blowed up. I mean, he was about to puke. I think I was having flashbacks from the Rock and Roll Express match in Louisville because he did do that. I don't know if we talked about that when we yeah. watched, but yeah, yeah, he went under the ring and threw up. He was so blown up, and I was I, I was sitting there going, "He's gonna fucking throw up again." Uh, <laughs> but I got in there with Chris for a minute. And I was like, we got to let him rest. We got to let him rest because he had to take the heat. Oh, and yeah. So finally, he, he got in there and he did it. But I bet he's sore shit because he took moves. And I'll tell you what he told me. He said, and he told Chris, too, there was a spot where he, he body slammed he body slammed Jamie right before Jamie did his little karate shit. He said, he said I think I... I think I might have pooped on myself a little bit right there. It knocked the air out of him, and I swear to God, I think I pooped on myself a little bit. Oh man, he was he was blowed up, pooped on, and yeah, I've been for <laughs> today. Well, maybe God but... bless him. Showed up with two right shoes on. Bless his heart. Yeah, that was in the video, and he's like doing this circular walk around because he's walking. Yes, he right like... feet circle three stooges kind of deal man you know let me just ask this because you know i know that we're never promised tomorrow but is there a possible another chance that we may see pg-13 in the future well man i hope so especially on these conventions i tried to talk to him about that last night and uh, yeah goes but i mean like i said i felt way better last night in the ring than i did in jackson uh yeah i'm sore this morning but i really feel like i could probably i could probably take some more bookings and and do uh kind of what i did last night i mean i was there if you watch yeah. the video i was there I, you know i don't know i felt i felt way better i moved better uh, I'm not, I'm not my, even my 40 year old self, even my 35 year old self, definitely not my 20 something year old self, but, uh, I can still get the job done, man. Well, for all of us, PG 13 fans, I think that makes our heart swell. So for the people that was there, here's another little inside Easter egg. If you want to call it, um, Chris Michaels came back from the ring and he's bleeding. And I thought, Oh shit. Cause if, for anybody that didn't see it, I hubcapped him. <laughs> he hit me with a chain. Uh, still no referee because of right. 
Jeff Jarrett comes in and then hits Chris with the guitar. Yeah. And and busts him open. He busted him open. No, no, you know, no blades, no nothing like that. He busted him open with the with the guitar. But when Chris came back, I saw him and I thought, oh shit, did I do that with the hubcap? Because I did hit him. I always do. Not yeah. Him. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I said, did I do that? And he said, no. He said it was a fucking guitar. I said, well, which one was worse? He said. That hubcap was kind of snug. <laughs> a guitar ripping your head open is not as bad as Wolfie D hit you with a hubcap. So just yeah, yeah. Chris is great. I've always yeah. liked Chris. You know. Yeah. I punched Doug in the mouth. Me and my potatoes. And I ain't been out there in a while, but I always try to make my shit look good. And I've told you this before. Road Dog and, and Tracy's mothers too. Both of them used to say, "Wolfie, your punches are like getting hit with a rubber mallet." I started throwing that shit on Doug, and all of a sudden i felt on my knuckles his lips and his teeth <laughs> and mm. then him going him going god damn Wolfie. <laughs> <laughs> sorry bro <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that is pretty much it for your Portland, Tennessee reunion of PG-13. On to the next current affair. So speaking of great tag team action, recently, one of my personal favorite current tag teams, FTR, was in the AEW Owen Hart tournament mm-hmm. to crown the Owen Hart champion or something. I don't know. But anyway, they reenacted essentially Brett and Owen Hart spots mm-hmm. during the tournament. Did you see some of that? I saw clips of it. Yes. I did not see the whole match, but I did see the clips of the, the imitations or whatever. Yeah. How, what'd you think of that, man? I, I personally, I really don't care for it, man. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. That seems to be some sort of trend with these guys now. And, and you know, have I stolen a move or even a spot here and there? Of course, man. But I don't think you should go out there and, like, reenact a whole match. That's, I mean, that's almost like... <laughs> doing a remake of an old classic movie or something. If you want to see the classic movie, go back and watch it. If you want to watch Owen and Brett, go back and watch it. We don't need two guys to go out there and remind us of all the moves they did. Because <laughs> again, it's just rubbing it in the face of, hey, this is all bullshit, and we're going to go out here and we're going to work together to bring you a reenactment of, of this match. And then I, I remember the, the thing with with uh, CM Punk and somebody right, where right. he was paying homage to Bret Hart and stuff. And I still don't like it, especially if you call it out like that. And it's it's like, maybe if you could work it in and 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 just don't say nothing about it or something and, and, and then don't do the whole fucking match. Don't do a bunch of it all. And I just, it's stupid to me. And it's, it, it is plagiarism to me. It's like, Come on, man. I mean, I'm not saying these guys ain't talented and they're not capable of doing it, but right. lazy and do that because, in my opinion, it's not. Uh, if you if you want to pay homage, just put it on. Um, uh, however you say that fucking word, just put them over somewhere on social media or something. Don't yeah. go out there and make your match their match. That's just. It, golly i just don't understand it man i don't understand the the psyche of the of the newer generation of wrestler it's just so markish man i i, I don't get it 
Brother, I, I, I've never seen that perspective, but I do now. You've kind of ripped open the third eye there. So basically what you're saying essentially is it is changing it from, you know, like Harley Race and, and Gypsy Joe pro wrestling to basically dancing with the stars. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, we've talked about this, just the whole business in general and the style and all that's way away from Gypsy Joe and Harley Race. But, uh, right. you know, and like I said, uh, it's their athletes. They do great shit. I just wish they would slow it, peel it back just a little bit to yeah. get people, uh, you know, emotionally invested in the character and the person and tell that story in the ring. Because when you're going a thousand miles an hour, if you're not emotionally invested, just like putting on a movie, okay? Yeah. If I uh, get emotionally invested within the first 15 minutes, and now in a wrestling match, it would obviously be less minutes than that because the match is not going to go two hours, hopefully. Uh, but, you know, if the movie's not got me into the characters and wanting to know what's going to happen uh, by the end. I mean, I've, I've seen some movies where they're not the greatest, but they got me wanting to know what was going to happen at the end. And I watched it until the end uh, just to find out what was going to happen. And, you know, with these guys, I feel like they're just, they're going so fast that just like right. a movie, I'll get up off the fucking couch if I'm not uh, emotionally invested uh, and go get something to eat and skip some of it, not even pause it. Now, if I'm invested, I'm going to pause it when I go do that, you know, but right and miss some of it and blah, 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 may even fucking cut it off and try to find something else. I, I just don't see, uh, well, I do see how it's, it's not conducive to what you're trying to do. And, you know, one of my good friends, and he's a WWE Hall of Famer, we uh, were talking, Dan Housen walked into the convention at one point uh, to his table for his signing. He had a big line. And when he walked in, man, the, the people started popping and clapping for him for even <laughs> the thing. Hey, I love you, Dan House. I mean, and, and so I was talking to this friend of mine and I said, I said, the kid's over, man. Uh, you know, I don't necessarily I do like the character. I hope they do it right. We've talked about that. I said, but I said, the kid's over. He's a little bitty fucker, too. Like, that's the first time I've seen him in person. I mean, he really does uh, without the makeup. And I ain't seen him without the makeup. But if without the makeup, you couldn't tell him from the kids standing in line waiting for his autograph. Yeah. Uh, and again, not really a knock, just an observation. But they like I said, they pop for him. And I told the guy, I said, he's over, man. Uh, I said, you hear the people pop for him? when he came in and blah 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 and he said he's not over he's popular right there's a difference and i never really thought of it that way but this person uh, like i said hall of famer a good friend of mine and obviously has a, a better perspective than i do even uh, at the level that he was at and that really made sense to me man he's not over he's popular overdraws money popular gets applause right and oh you didn't know i think he would be a great manager if there were like Jimmy Hart ability managers where they were like focusing on having a faction or managers or yeah. family or yeah. dude, I think Danhausen personally, I was talking with my friend the other day about this. I could see Danhausen doing stuff like Ernest or Pee Wee Herman or something like that, like movies almost. But yeah, as a wrestler, King Kong Bundy would wipe his butt with him. You know what I mean? To me, 
He's just not a wrestler. I have watched one of his matches. I actually have watched one of his matches. I haven't watched a lot of them, but as a wrestler, he does have ability and maybe with the smaller wrestlers these days, but honestly, dude, I'm with you, man. He's incredibly popular. That makes sense. I think his future, though, is some type of manager role or possibly outside of wrestling altogether as some kind of character. But anyway, they don't pay for my opinion. (laughs) 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 Yeah, seriously, we we will take PayPal any day for Wolfie's opinion. All right. Well, that pretty much wraps it up for the FTR question. Now, that is, like I said, one of my favorite tag teams. But you have really opened my eyes to something there that I didn't even think about. Never seen them work as a team. I hear they're good and whatnot, but that I mean that don't yeah. mean they're a good team or wouldn't think that if I watched them. I'm just sure saying, when it sure. comes to that subject matter, no matter who's doing it. Their two tag teams that they model themselves after are the Brain Busters and the Midnight Express. So yeah. their heart's in the right place, but yeah, for real. I hope it's not the case, but maybe that's the current state of pro wrestling. Anyway, well, on to the next one here. So our next one is basically, I couldn't be happier to say this. One of our Live and in Color with Wolfie D alumna, alumnus, one of oh. our former guests. <laughs> <laughs> you to say, Jimmy. anyway one of our former guests the hole from heels luke hawks last tuesday was on the young rock now if you listen to past episodes you've heard me say that i wanted him to play wolfie d (laughs) on the young rock because of wolfie's help with the rock back in the early days but dude if he can't be wolfie d if they're not going to cast that role, then who better to play for him than Stone Cold Steve Austin, man? That was crazy, right? He was the younger ringmaster version, but how crazy was that, dude? Yeah, that's really cool that he got that, man. Luke Hawks is a is a hard worker, man. He's a, He hustles, man, and he deserves everything he gets. Um, I, I'm super happy for him. I sent him a text, man. Congratulations on the home run. And, uh, I mean, yeah, the, and I actually, I watched, I did not see the episode, uh, yeah. I'll go and watch it, but I actually, I don't know, a month ago or something, I watched the whole first season and I really liked it. I thought it was really good. It was, and it was cool. Cause I could relate. I knew most of the stories on there and stuff like that. So it was, it was, uh, it was cool. Yeah. To watch. It's a good show. And I guess, so is this the start of season three? Because I've seen season two on Peacock. Is this season two or is this the beginning of season three? No, this is the continuation of season two. Okay. So, yeah. If it's not on there the same night that it airs, it's usually on the next day. Like, Peacock, pay us some money or we're never going to say. Let's just start saying we watched it on the cock. No. <laughs> No, we won't say that. Anyway, so the Peacock is where you can see The Rock. Now, that if you know our past episodes, I've called it Young Wolfie. That is essentially where I took it from, the Young Rock, Young Wolfie, when we started to interview some of Wolfie's childhood friends. So that's cool. I wanted, though, this year, he's about to go to Memphis after this episode. So what'll be cool is to see, you know, if they do that justice, right? Probably not a whole lot. They won't give it much time, I would imagine, but we'll see. Probably not. On to the next one. So our last current affair for the day. I mean, this isn't wrestling, but it kind of is. Everybody saw, you know, the last Wednesday morning 
on the news. There was a attack on another stage performer, one of the funniest comedians of all time, in my personal opinion, Dave Chappelle. And he was essentially basically spear him, but it worked that well. Yeah, I tried to spear him. What'd you say about this, man? What do you think? I say, well, it, I mean, it sucks that that kind of stuff happens, man, but it's it's happened for a long time. And it was funny because the morning after I'm watching the news, and of course, their narrative is Will Smith has opened a door to uh, entertainers being attacked and blah, blah, blah. And I, I call bullshit on that because, yeah. I mean, that's been going on for years, especially in the wrestling business, man. We right. always had to have our head on a swivel, man, because, uh, you know, I've told some of the stories. It's happened to me more than once. The differences uh, with a comedian or a singer, you know, they're not used to that kind of stuff. We are. And so our our reaction time of is this happening? Like, because there's a moment that goes, OK, this is really happening. And then you switch from, yes, this is happening and you take action. And the thing is, with the singers and the comedians, they're not used to that. So their seconds, uh, I would say, are longer than a wrestler's decision-making to beat the fuck out of somebody, right? So I think that when it's happened to, you know, Chris Rock obviously didn't think Will was going to smack him. If that was a work, it was, you know, because I admitted, uh, it, at first said that that was a work. Now I'm starting to think it wasn't. And the reason being is because... And I and I thought this when it happened, like, okay, if this is a work, what are they going for? And then all the the backlash that Will got, and you know, that was a stupid fucking work if he did it because it really cost him, you know. So I don't know that it was a work, but obviously this guy was just an outside person, uh, uh, not a work. Uh, and and not that I'm you know can tell, but like I said, I just think their reaction time. But it's been going on forever. We talked about that. Uh, if you'll recall, uh, what was that in the 80s, I guess, when or early 90s, when uh, the guy come up on stage and, and shot Dimebag Daryl. Yeah. So this yeah. is not something new that was caused by Will Smith. <laughs> right. Right. You're right. I remember because my cousin was living up there and he was a huge Pantera fan. It happened in like Columbus, Ohio or something. And yeah, a crazed fan ran up on the stage and shot him in the head. It was nuts, man. So yeah, you're, you're right. It, it almost needs to be like a union of professional wrestlers that protect stars now, you know? <laughs> Maybe that's our next business idea. All right, write that one down, Wolfie. <laughs> well, yeah, man. And, you know, the thing is, is Dave is not as small as Chris Rock. You know what I'm saying? Dave yeah. is. Oh, Dave's actually, I mean, he used to be real skinny and stuff. And then as of late, it looks like he probably got on some gas or something. Probably. He yeah. looked all the, those last few stand-ups he's done, he looks all jacked and stuff. So that's totally. And was, you know, and then you see the guy that tried to take him down is not a big fella. Uh, so no, no, yeah. I'm sure they uh, got him the help he needed once they got him to the back, right? <laughs> I don't know these days though. You can't play with all that stuff, man. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. <laughs> but we talked about too, uh, you know, the Seth Rollins thing where the guy speared him, and the difference in now and then is, you know, Seth really couldn't take. Uh, liberties on him, you know, right. as being sued and things like that. But fuck, you know, the guy on on Chappelle, from what I understand, uh, the early things were that he had a replica gun and a replica knife. Yeah, how to get that in there was the question. First of all, but then second of all, 
why is he carrying fake shit? And what was I don't know. You listen, but but there's been stupid, crazy people in this world from the beginning of time, man. Right. That ain't nothing new neither. (laughs) And yeah, we're never going to be able to understand the crazy people. Just to be honest, we're never going to be able to understand their mind. It's just not going to happen. Anyway, well, that's pretty much it for current affairs today. Why don't you go ahead and take us out? All right. Once again, folks, we thank you for listening. The listeners are growing, and that's because of you. That's because of word of mouth. Uh, Don't forget Manscaped. Use promo code Wolfie to get 20% off. Uh, You don't have to buy the big package. You can buy just little stuff anytime you use my name. That helps me out along with the listens. Those are important, too. Uh, Pro Wrestling Tees, go there. Go to the uh, Live and in Color with Wolfie D podcast store to find your shirts for the live it in color one with the logo we got some pg-13s we got some just me's we got all kinds of stuff like that contact me if you want i've got a few uh, pint size all-stars left if you want some of those and uh contact me on any of the social media sites messages however you want to get to me uh jimmy can get them to me if it's not my direct facebook or something like that but again thank you guys for listening uh hope you are really enjoying this show because jimmy and i are enjoying doing it tune in next week for another episode of live and in color with wolfie d And now a word from our sponsor. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Give Me Back My Pro Wrestling, the podcast that's based on the old school, but can still help you find the good stuff from today. Jimmy Street and the Plastic Sheik, Jared, are the undisputed tag team champions of the wrestling podcast world. From thought-provoking topics to superstar interviews to action figure expertise. This team does it all. And all they ask is, give me back my pro wrestling. Every other Thursday, wherever you listen to podcasts. That's right, it's the talk of Middle Tennessee, the channel you love to hate and the channel you hate to love. It's Brian Turner from Brian Turner's VHS Rehab. And if you're looking for matches from Wolfie D to Jerry Lawler to Dusty Rhodes and the team that put a pimp before your eyes and a goatee between your thighs, Booty Call and Athena, go to LostWrestling.com. See, I made it easy for you. Brian Turner's VHS Rehab. Booyah! Join me, Gene Jackson, for the Jackson Interaction Podcast, where I'll be doing one-on-one interviews with people from the world of professional wrestling, as well as stand-up comedy. You can get them anywhere podcasts are available in both video and audio form, but you can find them all at GeneJacksonPod.com. So that was another great episode. Hey, Wolfie, tell them where they can find you on social media. Jimmy, they can find me in the club, bottle full of bub. I'm just kidding. Uh, They can find me on Facebook. Uh, My personal page is Warren Wolf, W-O-L-F-E. I'm on Instagram, at WarrenWolf13. You can always find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, at LiveWolfieD. Here's the thing. Wolfie always has offers for his autographed photos. 
he has a selection of some awesome photos from throughout his career that he will autograph and personalize any way that you want him to. Just contact him either directly at his personal Facebook page or through any one of our other pages, and we'll make sure you get in contact directly with Wolfie. Get those photos, right, Wolfie? Yeah, I've got some good stuff on there, you know, to help with the podcast. Folks, if you can't get out to a show to meet Wolfie D, there's nothing like that, especially for the fans of PG-13 and Wolfie D. And before we go, you can always find me, your host, Jimmy Street, at James Rock Street on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And hey, Jimmy, before we go real quick, I just want to add in there, uh, from the bottom of my heart, I really appreciate, first of all, the work you've done for this podcast. You have worked your butt off. Secondly, the people that are liking the page. Beyond that, even more, is the people that are listening. And we really appreciate that. Yeah, and remember, guys, the podcast drops a new episode every Monday at noon, and our past episodes are streaming now on demand on all major podcast formats. Thanks again. I got a cap for you don't. He got a cap for you don't. I got a cap for you don't. And here we go. The original white boy that came out sagging, not bragging, don't be hating, cause I'm spitting the truth, still lobbing in color. Don't rush your mother, utilize a hubcap, unlike any other. Back in the day, I was NOD, and I was P to the G, plus the one and the three. In case you forgot, they call me Wolfie D. Been cloned and copied so many times, tired of suckers taking credit for what is mine. You know who you are without me name dropping wrestling's first white boy coming out hip hop. Been doing it like this since 92. Lay low for a while when you thought I was through. Listen real close to these rhymes that I've injected. This shit's so sick it makes your ears get infected. Mad skills, no faking, there is no one great. Cause I'm bringing more folks and over one for later. Not here to play games, so you better beware. You don't like me, so what? I really don't care. Like time I keep ticking and I can't be stopped. You second step to the side unless you wanna get dropped. When my finish, I'll straight knock you out. Please allow me to tell you what it's all about. Gonna wind it up. Then I'm driving it home, it's Ruby D, baby. Huh, I got a cap for your dome. You got a cap for your dome. You got a cap for your dome. You got a cap for your dome. This has been a James Rock Street production.